How does someone tell a good story? What are the key elements? What we say is that first and foremost, a story should be a series of events, start with. And then what we say first and foremost, what not to do. Do not start off with saying, "Aaron, I'd like to tell you a story." So why do you think, Aaron? We encourage people not to say that. I'd like to tell you. So what are you thinking in back of your mind when I said, "Aaron, I'd like to tell you a story." What here comes we go. To mind for you? <laughs> yeah, here we go. This guy's trying to tell me a lesson. <laughs> that's right. Here we go. Or maybe is it stories? Is this something that's being made up? Is it something from Hollywood, right? And is a story not a fact? So there's all these different permutation of what story may or may not be. So instead of letting your audience draw conclusion in the very beginning, we say minimize that risk and don't say "I'd like to tell you a story." We say don't use the S word. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome back. If we haven't met before, great to meet you. My name is Aaron. We tap into the stories of some of the world's most successful people, and not just successful people. Ordinary people too, to understand what made them who they are and how they are collectively making our world a better place. If you're looking for dopamine, inspiration, new knowledge, or actions that you can take today to become a better future self, you have come to the right place. To learn more about us, you can head over to our website, www.transformativepurpose.com, and please don't forget to follow, rate, and share if you enjoy our content. Everything you see here is run by myself and a small team, and we'll really appreciate it. And last but not least, our mission is to build a global community to inspire. Enjoy. Welcome back to the new episode. I wanted to say a quick thank you to all the messages we have received in the past few weeks. There's a few people I wanted to call out for their amazing review. And this one is from Ginny. She is based in Vietnam. Your podcast is amazing because it's going to help alleviate the burden of so many women. I love the values shared by you and Michael. Thank you, Ginny. I know you are moving to Australia shortly. Good luck with your move. And this one is from Linda from Australia, and she's a dedicated mother of two. Listening to your podcast with Michael Crossland, I really like his view on Plan A with no Plan B. Otherwise, we don't push hard enough. Michael is amazing, and he has a remarkable story to tell. If you guys haven't listened to it, I strongly recommend it. And that was our ninth episode, guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Your feedback and support means a lot to us, and I'm really happy. So many of you have found our podcast useful and have found meaning, new knowledge through our conversations. And our podcast is all about inspiring and empowering each and every one of you to become a better future self together with the persons next to you. Today, we are going to learn about storytelling. We hear a lot about storytelling, but what is storytelling? How can we tell a good story, and why is storytelling important in this day and age? My guest today is Perry Lam, founder and CEO of Lam Institute. I've known Perry for a few years, and the reason why Perry is here today is because he is a great storyteller. I've facilitated with Perry on many occasions, and every time Perry's on stage, you can see a spotlight shining on him. The crowd is super engaged, and they just follow him. And something also worth mentioning: Perry was a corporate high flyer in his 30s. He was already the regional sales director at DHL. He is currently coaching many CEOs in the region, TEDx speakers, and young people on storytelling. Welcome to the podcast, Perry. 
glad to have you here today. Thank you, Aaron. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> hey, tell us about your story. What made you who you are today? What What is Perry's story? <laughs> wow, that's a great question, Aaron. I guess it was really back in the '80s when I was in the United States, right? And at the time, I was working for the Xerox Corporation right out of university, having a great time, enjoying what I was doing in terms of making sales. And it was Christmas back in '81, and I remember I got this message on my answering machine. Back then, we didn't have mobile phones. That was a little early, so I guess we're telling about my age a bit. But back then, I got home. It was December, and I saw this red blinking light. On my message machine, and I hit the button. It said, "Hi, Perry. This is Jim Potter. Give me a call.、I、want to talk to you about an opportunity? Thanks." And I thought to myself, "Aaron, ah,、oh, this must be an insurance salesman guy. I'll just let it go." So I didn't think anything of it. The next evening, because it's December and I'm there celebrating with all my good friends, I get home and what else? Another blinking red light. I hit it again, and the message is, "Perry, this is Jim Potter. You really got to talk to me. It's an important opportunity for you." And I said, "Oh, it must be a big insurance policy he's trying to sell me." So I thought nothing of it, Aaron. And the third night when I got home, that blinking line again. I said, "I bet you that's Jim Potter." So I hit it, and sure enough, it was. And here's what he said to me, Aaron. He said, "Perry, this is Jim Potter. There's an opportunity for you to go to Hong Kong. Call me back in the morning." So what did I do? I called him back in the morning, and sure enough, being a recruiter, he was looking for someone to come to Hong Kong to work for a company called DHL. So that's what got me there. And back in '82, I went to San Francisco, had an interview with the global marketing director. And by February, I landed in Hong Kong, 22nd, 1982, for a three-month assignment. And as you know, three months becomes three years, becomes 30 years. So here's where I am today, and all started with that red blinking light. So I guess the message to everyone here, Aaron, is this: is that persistency is important. Fortunately for me, as well as Jim Potter, he was persistent, and blinking light kept blinking, and I finally returned the call. Wow! So that's my story, Aaron. Wow! Hey, you were right out of college. You mentioned you were right out of college. You just graduated. How did you know that was the right decision? Well, I guess that being an American-born Chinese, and I visited Hong Kong a few times, I was fascinated by my roots as such. And quite frankly, what I imagined was that hey. This is a perfect opportunity. Although I've had a couple years working for Xerox, having a good time in the United States, you know, maybe it's for something a little different, a bit of a change. And the downside was this: it could be a three-month holiday for me in Hong Kong on DHL. I said, "What's the risk?" So it was no risk, and that's I think been all my life is that an opportunity opens the door, go through it, don't hesitate, and that's really what's led me here. You know, I've had the opportunity because of DHL, my corporate life. I lived and worked in Korea, Japan, Philippines, Hong Kong, JV on the board in China, and back in Hong Kong. So 20 great years, different countries, different opportunities, and I've never hesitated to walk through the door.、Mm-hmm. So it's I guess been part of my DNA, and that's maybe why I'm here today. Did you always have a plan to go into logistics, or that just happened? Oh, it just happened. In fact, you know, back when I was interviewing with initially Jim Potter, then I went to San Francisco. You know, my question was this: What is DHL? I've never heard of DHL before. You know, I worked for Xerox, all、oh, the big Fortune 100s. Well, look at Xerox today. Where's Xerox? But back then, I said, "No, I've got to work for the big Fortune 100s." I knew sales was always part of my life. I enjoy that challenge, the opportunity, as such. And then when the logistics came up, that was something totally different. And so here again, I think it's really 
If you have the passion and motivation for a certain area, the industry really doesn't make that much difference. You can learn about the industry. It's really what you want to do. And for me, it was always about people, sales, marketing, and that's what led me this way. Right, okay. You work with and you let a lot of sales team and sales people, right? What differentiates between an average sales person and an outstanding salesperson, in your opinion? And this links back very much to storytelling is that having, I believe, the empathy for your customers in terms of understanding them. And today it's all about building trust. You know, the traditional way of sales in the past is always about, hey, I've got this product. This is why you should get the product. And let's start working on our surface of product for you. Whereas now it's really about the opportunity to build that trust. And here's where I believe storytelling comes in play because what we say is storytelling brings humanity back in the workplace. And what do we mean by that? It's really getting to know your client, them getting to know yourself, establishing that trust and based upon that trust and moving forward in terms of a longer term relationship. And many people use the term trusted advisor and that's so much the case today, I believe. And stories are what helps salespeople to, I believe, establish that in the very beginning. Because when you meet someone for the first time and they're trying to present to you a new sales, a service or a product, Aaron, it's really about first, do I believe in Aaron? You know, is Aaron someone that I could trust? Is someone that I could build rapport and understand? And what's the best way to do that? Well, the shortest distance between two individuals is a good story. And that's the opportunity to right. start that relationship. Right. Right. So you believe that trust is everything. Trust and authenticity is everything. Before we talk about any soft skills about how you sell a product or service, without trust, it's impossible to sell. Absolutely. It's all built upon the foundation of trust, right? Right. And I think the other thing to a longer term relationship, Aaron, knowing that you will be there not only during good times, but during the tough times is what I'm depending upon. And that's something in terms of the trusted advisor and also the long-term business relationship. It's just like when I transitioned from 20 years of DHL to going into executive coaching and storytelling, who the first individuals I approached were my previous clients. And they were curious, well, Perry, what are you doing after 20 years of DHL? And I explained to them, well, you know, after 20 years of DHL, DHL was acquired by the Deutsche Post and there's a wonderful opportunity we had to either continue on with DHL, but under a German brand, which is a different culture, mm-hmm. or move forward and really realize our passion. And I recognized in the 20 years of DHL that my passion was really going forward and working with leaders and their teams to help them realize the true potential. And so with that as such, you know, I had this opportunity. I went home and talked to my wife and she said to me, you know, Perry, you have a year, right? Because during the terms and conditions of my transition, I was given a year because I was head of sales, as they call gardening. And she said, you know, you've got a year to prove it to ourselves. If you can make a go of it, if you can make the rent, then you should go for it. And I said, yeah, you're right. And she said, I know you. And if you never try that, you'll always regret it. So never regret it. So that's a lesson I learned from my wife is if you have an opportunity in front of you, don't step back, move through that door, seize that opportunity. Mm-hmm. And you know what life is all about today. Life is finding out things that you're good at and maybe things that you're not so good at and the valuable lessons and maybe the things that are not so good at. So you learn a lot more 
from when you trip. So as they say, fail fast and learn faster. Well, I learned that 20 years ago when I did my transition. And I never looked back to such. And that's really opened up a big opportunity. But it was always built upon the clients that you and who become your friends in the very beginning that you build that relationship based upon trust with. And so that's what's brought me here today in terms of what I'm doing in executive coaching, working with key executives as well as their teams throughout Asia. Mm. There's a lot of wisdom with what you just said. I think more people need to really look at relationships more as a, not so much in sort of a transactional relationship, like you said, but more thinking of it as a transformational leadership. I, I forgot where I heard this from, but a wise man once said, relationship is sort of like a bank account, right? Every time you get something from that person, you're making a withdrawal. But how much are we actually depositing back into the bank account? How much are we actually giving out back to the relationship? I think that speaks quite squarely to what you just described about, you know, how we should really look at relationships. Yeah, absolutely, Aaron. In fact, our Po Chung, the founder and chairman of DHL here in Asia, one of my mentors, always used to say, Perry, there's three types of income. There's the financial income, right, that pays the rent. But there are two other important incomes that you should be aware of. One, he said, was the emotional income. So what do we do in terms of getting satisfaction, right? What are we motivating to get satisfaction with what we do? And then there's a psychic income. The psychic income is where we continually learn, keep sharp, further enhance and challenge ourselves. So it's like a three-legged stool, Aaron. You know, the function income is important, but I think you need the other two legs, as Po Chung says. You need one in terms of the emotional income of what you do, you're continually being satisfied with. And the third one is psychic income in which you're continually learning. And with those three legs of the stool in terms of income, that's what helps us move forward both during the good times as well as the challenging times, just like what we have faced over COVID today. Mm, that's interesting. Financial, emotional, and learning income. Got that down here. <laughs> hey, so how did you discover storytelling? Did you learn it from school? Or one of the things that you pick up when you were at DHL? What was the story there? Well, you know, this is real interesting. Back in university, I went to win Mary. And my junior year, I was encouraged to run for president because I was social chairman the year before. And this is kind of going against the grain because traditionally it's the succession plan in our fraternity house was the vice president because the vice president had the worst job. He was responsible for cleaning the fraternity after parties. You can imagine, right, Aaron? <laughs> anyway, I short-tracked that. I never did that. I was the one making a mess being a social chairman of the party, right? So the vice president would have to clean everything up and then... His quote unquote gift, his trophy, his reward is being president. Well, we had so much fun, I guess, as a show chairman that I was encouraged to run for president against Jim, who was the vice president, clearly the heir apparent. So it came time in which the way it worked in my fraternity house is that we'd get together. Of course, we'd have some beers in the fraternity house. And then everyone, the candidate, so to speak, would have three to five minutes to kind of give their pitch on why they should be president in this case. So Jim did a great job there, set up his credentials, all his accomplishments and all. And that was fantastic. It's my turn. And you know what, Aaron, when I started to speak, I just got tongue tied. I mean, I just saw stars. I was repeating myself. And I said, well, you know, well, you guys know, don't you? And the reality is they don't know. You've got to tell them. Anyway, fortunately, I had a lot of advocates and supporters who actually told my story. 
you know, we're escorted out downstairs having a drink. And I said, uh, well, I know the results of this already, so I'll have another beer. And I got back up, and they started clapping as I walked up. And they said, congratulations, Mr. President. I go, what? What happened here? Fortunately, my fraternity brothers who supported me were able to tell my story to everyone else, right? But at that time, I said to myself, oh, my gosh, you know, public speaking is so important. And you think you could do it until you have to do it, and you can't. At least that's my case, right? I just gone out there and winging it. So immediately I enrolled in at the drama class, the public speaking program. Mm. And I got interested in it. But along that way, it opened up a journey. I got involved in Toastmasters. But the real thing in terms of storytelling hit me when I was in sales, initially at Xerox and then at DHL, when I used to accompany our sales leaders as well as our sales team members to visit major accounts when I travel to countries, also roll out some of our training programs. And what I realized was a very simple fact. The best salespeople I've ever come across have been those who are good storytellers, mm. right? And I haven't met anyone today who's been a very good sales professional who has not been a good sales storyteller. So that kind of came to me really early and stepping upon before that, in fact, is, you know, it's all about people first, right? Mm -hmm. People make it happen, but the types of people, the qualities of people, the skills of people and storytelling really aligned quickly with that. Even yeah. today, when we work with clients and we work with their sales force, we want to encourage them to obviously develop themselves, get better results but it's really building that engagement, how to persuade, how to influence and establish that trust as we talked about earlier through their storytelling. Perry, you mentioned a couple of interesting points. At the start, you mentioned about part of storytelling is about bringing humanity back to the workplace. And in your past, you haven't really seen any good salespeople who are not able to tell a good story, right? Or want to just sort of pick your brain here. Why do you think humans really resonate more with stories. You know, there are two types of communication strategies, as we say, Aaron. One is the push strategy. And a push strategy is pushing information out. It's like we call the salesman who's the talking brochure. We're the biggest. We're the best. We've got so many services. This is what we could do for you. Versus those who engage the client. And it's the what we call pull strategy. You embrace them. You bring them in by establishing that rapport, by telling those good stories in which they have an interest, but also at the same time, a clear message. And lastly, and most importantly, provides what we call the stickiness. So people remember the point. Most importantly, what we say is what the client or what the audience will infer about you and your character and your values and your attributes on what you share with them. Not tell them, but share with them. So they infer that. And I think that's the key here. Yeah. And on top of that, as you have mentioned, is really to stay there and be there for the long term, right? And I guess when you walk into a relationship, because a lot of the stuff that you said early on is really to be there for the good times and for the bad times. And don't expect you're going to get something out of it, you know, from a, from a meeting per se, right? That's right. And so, you know, we always say that when you meet a potential client for the first time, always leave there with the gift. And what's the gift? It's that relationship of building a bridge. 
And right. so make a friend, make a friend, but ideally make a long-term friend. Yeah, just like what we're here doing today. <laughs> hey. Absolutely. <laughs> so we talked a lot about being a great storyteller and you work with a lot of people from senior executives to young people to people who are delivering TED Talks, right? Where do people usually get it wrong when telling stories, especially when someone thinks they're telling stories? Are they really telling a story? <laughs> Let's start from the very beginning. You know, what is a story? And a story really, it's about key facts, but they're wrapped together. They're wrapped together in content, in context, as well as emotion, right? And so a lot of people think they're storytellers because they're just telling fact, fact, fact. So it's like, as you know, sometimes you've probably witnessed this in which there are commentaries. Well, he did this, then he did that, then later on he did this. And that's just a commentary. So that's just... You know, a walking announcer, let's say in a sports news contest, where people really gravitate to is when you can bring them on that journey in which they care about you. They feel in terms of what you're going and can identify. So in other words, you've been able to display the empathy that they could appreciate and be there for that moment. And that's what resonates with individuals. Because every day, as you know, in our lives, we get bombarded by facts, figures, what we call assertions. But it's once you go down the level of communication in which you take a deeper dive into coming up with those specific moments in which people could be there with you. They could visualize it, they could feel it. And with that as such, they could then agree and be part of you in terms of that relationship that you're establishing. When do people know that it's the right time to tell a story? Is there any cue that we can take up from? The classic one is when you, you know, want to help to give an example, a clarify. That's when it's a good time to share a story. With that, believe it or not, it's really, as they say, the best impromptu story, Aaron. Mm -hmm. It's one that's been practiced. So we're big advocates of everyone building a story bank. So what does that mean, Aaron? That means this is that when you come up with someone for the first time, you may not have off the top of your mind a great story to be able to share. But if you have a story bank, which is a series of different stories that you've been able to capture and as simple as on your phone, you could review that first and then that could refresh you so then you could share that particular story, right? So we continually are advocates of building the story bank. Right, okay. So it's partially preparation, partially, I guess, also a learning and improvising uh, experience too. That's right. And, and so, I mean, there, there are a couple of ways actually to practice it, right? You can practice on your own for one, but where you really get impact is to practice it with others. So practicing it with like friends, colleagues, who could then maybe give you some feedback and provide some coaching and then lastly, the moment of truth is recording it on your mobile phone and playing it back and hearing what you sound like. Right. When is it not a good time to tell a story? Have you seen? Do you have any examples to share? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in fact, I do. I, I was working with a, a, a client who was a sales leader, right? And we we're going through this series of developing his storytelling skills. And as we we're going through one of the the uh, practice sessions, his CEO comes in a room and well, I'm there as well. The interruption says, John, John, I need something very quick. 
tell me about this. And of course, John, because we're practicing, launches into a sales story. And of course, the CEO says, no, John, I don't have the time for that. I just need the fact right now. So I think the message here is that you've got to decide when it is appropriate based upon what the audience needs, right? In terms of a story or just a simple fact for one. The other thing too is that in terms of when it's not a good time to tell a story is the reality is if it's relevant. So is it relevant to the listener? Is it relevant to the particular topic? And maybe the third area to consider is this, you know, we always say that when you share a story, it should be factual. You can't make up a story. It should be something that's actually happened, right? Because people, they could judge, they could sense. It's like blood in a water with piranhas, right? If you start fabricating a story, there are cues in terms of maybe a lack of confidence, the lack of consistency, in which the listener or the audience could pick up, and then you're just taking away from your trust that you're trying to right. build. Right, that goes to yes. trust. So I was going to ask you a follow-up question on this, and you've covered some of the elements already. How does someone tell a good story? What are the key elements? All right, and that's a great question, Aaron. What we say is that first and foremost, a story should be a series of events, right? Start with, and then what we say first and foremost, what not to do. Do not start off with saying, "Aaron, I'd like to tell you a story." So why do you think, Aaron? We encourage people not to say that. I'd like to tell you. So what are you thinking in back of your mind when I said, "Aaron, I'd like to tell you a story"? What comes to mind for you? Here we go. Yeah, here we go. This guy's trying to tell me a lesson. That's right. Here we go. <laughs> Or maybe is it stories? Is this something that's being made up? Is it something from Hollywood, right? And is a story not a fact? So there's all these different permutation of what story may or may not be. So instead of letting your audience draw conclusion in the very beginning, we say minimize that risk and don't say I'd like to tell you a story. We say don't use the S word. We say just launch into it. And what we'd like to do is we'd like to say start off with a time marker and a place marker. In other words, back in February 2002, when I was on my way here to this particular journey of starting as a executive coach. So right there, I've given you the time so visually you could see that. Then we like to say, put a place in mind. Could it be, let's say, here in Hong Kong, or could it be more descriptive? As I'm approaching the HSBC head office, right? So that way, people then start visualizing it. And then what you do is you talk about a character, introduce that character, going through the series of events, and then, as I said, add the moments in which you're. How are they feeling? What are they thinking? Maybe a conversation. From there, then, Aaron, we move into the next stage of coming to a key point and the message you want to deliver. Now, the mind is that everyone likes a little bit of intrigue. So, if you can add a little bit of a surprise element, that adds a higher quality of a story to it. So, if you put it all together, right? Time and place. Based upon a series of events, a main character, the dialogue that goes along with it, and then the business point, and maybe an element surprise 
those are the key ingredients of a story. I think if the listeners haven't noticed already, I think right off the bat during our introduction, you already gave us a, a perfect example of a good way of telling a story and how you move from the United States to Hong Kong. <laughs> That's right. Because the obvious question when someone meets me here for the first time in Asia. You can tell by my accent, right? I can't get away from my accent. <laughs> that you know, what brought you to Asia, right? And so that's how I share that with them. Yeah, never fabricate a story. I think we all gotta remember that. So I want to ask you about a futuristic question. And as you already touched on with storytelling, you you're trying to bring humanity humanity back to the workplace. How do you think storytelling can help you know each of us? You know, build a more human world because that's the that's the premise of this podcast. We try to empower, encourage people to become, to really look into the future and to really think, be thinking about what are some of the actions that they can do today in order to get them to a better future self, together with the people next to them. How do you think storytelling can help these people? That's a great point, Aaron. I mean, that reminds me. You know, two years ago, I was in Europe. In fact, I was traveling with the founders of Anadol. Sean Callahan and also Mark Shanks in the story side of things, Mike Adams, and, and then we were in Munich uh, meeting with some clients. We were doing some public programs as such, and then the global head of HR for this major insurance company based in Munich said, "You know, one of the challenges we have in our organization is that we really need to be more focused on our human element, which is our people, versus the classic deliverables." And key performance indicators, which drive success. It's more than just that. And so, after our discussions, they found that one means to bring back humanity into their culture and to their organization is really through stories. Because if an organization says we're putting people first, my question to them is, okay, well, share me an opportunity when that happened, right? Where does that flow within your organization? So my point here is that an organization, if they're going to be a, build a certain element of culture, which be humanity and their employees, they should have a wealth of stories that indicate that, that highlight that, and such right. And so that's where I would say storytelling is an enabler. It's a communications vehicle to. Show how humanities is in "quote unquote" either the workplace or in the culture embedded within an organization, or maybe the true meaning. In this case, of your podcast, Aaron, what you're doing here, bringing humanities through your podcast by having individuals come and sharing of their insights, their experience. Well, so Story Bank doesn't only just apply to individuals; it can be applied to companies as well. And thinking back, some of the conversations that we've had in the past episode, I think there's a consistent theme around the interviewees that have shared on the podcast is about, you know, showing vulnerability, really voicing out. You know, one of the guys that we spoke to in the second episode, we spoke to a guy from an insurance company, and he's leading a DEI in- in- initiative. It, it has come quite as a surprise to a lot of people in the organization. When someone opens up, you can sometimes underestimate how much of that story can resonate with the people around you. It only takes one person to open up, and then the rest will also open up with their stories. Exactly, and you know that happens time and time again at town halls, right? In which something is being delivered a message, a strategy. Take for example, we work with a lot of clients, how they. Roll out their company strategy, and traditionally, mm-hmm. what happens? 
some companies that say, all right, effective January 1st, 2022, this is our new strategy. This is our new direction. This will be how we focus on our new products and services, right? And so it's a classic case, Aaron, of saying, all right, we'll go through the deck. We'll spend 40 minutes going through these slides and then they'll pass it off to their leaders and say, good luck. This is a strategy, cascade it down. So what classically happens is the case like when we're children, the game is called Whispers, right? In which you line up as little kids and you turn around and you have a little secret that you tell to the second child. The second child has a little whisper. It goes to the third one. And by the time it hits the 10th child, you ask. The story is completely different. It's Martian, (laughs) isn't it? It's completely a different language. And unfortunately, that happens a lot in our corporate world in which strategies are cascaded down. So what we suggest is, hey, get in a room. What I say is lock all the leaders in and let's talk about what is the strategy first, right? We have to get alignment at the very top in terms of strategy. And then you go through the element of how you cascade it down. And we're saying, surely you may use slides and those are important, but you need to embed it. The way to embed it is through what? Stories, give anecdotes, give examples in which it focuses on what you want to achieve in terms of the strategy. Ideally, what we do is we say, all right, the C-levels will have a target audience. So let's say the chief operating officer may be focusing on casting it down at town hall. The chief sales or marketing officer may do it to key clients. So look at who's your audience. And then we equip them with the stories telling skills and then they start sharing it with each other. So you've got alignment, you've got consistency, but also you're focused in on the audience in which you want to resonate your message with. And through that then, by the time you cascade it down, because it's always when companies do their employee engagement surveys, it's usually the middle, what I call the major edge of the wedge, the middle sector of any organization is when you ask that question, how clearly do you understand our company strategy? That's when you get people shaking their heads, scratching their heads, a little bit blurred because they've been that 10th child in the whisper game. And what they've heard is the Martian in terms of strategy. Disconnected from it. Absolutely. It's been misinterpreted, reinterpreted, and misinterpreted again, right? Mm -hmm. Perry, I just want to thank you so much for your time today. I've heard a lot of wisdom from you. You know, what is a good story? What is not a good story? When we're doing storytelling, what are the areas that we should be we should watch out for never fabricate a story should always be factual you've also given us some handful tips uh, when thinking about how can we actually perfect and improve upon our storytelling one thing thing that you mentioned that really for me uh, personally that it hits home is that i think if we want to know how human an organization is potentially would ask them to share you know what is in your story banks how well do you know your, your employee stories? And that, to me, I think that could be one of the indicators to tell us, you know, the company or the, the in- individual that you're likely to be working for. And I think that's important for a lot of young people today. Absolutely, Aaron, completely agree with it. So if you think about it, working into the corporate office, what do you see in the walls? Case studies, right? We have a client, this is the problem, this is how we solve it. That's not a story. What we would like to look at is where a client provides a testimonial in a story format that shows how you've provided humanity to them through your relationship to building trust and making a difference. Fantastic. Hey, thank you so much, Perry. Where can people find you if they need practices with their storytelling? (laughs) Okay, thanks, Aaron. The best way 
as you can contact me at www.laminstute.com. Or the other way, Aaron, is keep on listening to your podcast and they can track you down through your podcast, right? Fantastic. Hey, thank you so much, Perry, for coming on again. And I know you're a busy man. And thank you for taking your time out to speak with me this morning. Oh, thank you, Aaron. Thank you for that opportunity today. And also, uh, you know, my, my leaving message to you is to carry on with your mission on humanity by getting your audience to share their great stories. Thank you, Perry. Take care. I'll talk to you soon. Bye for now. Thank you. Bye. Story on, Aaron. Story on. I hope you enjoyed the chat. I always say our life is very much like discovering what the next chapter is in our own book. And what we do today can change the narrative in the next chapter. Our life given by nature is short, but it's not the duration that matters. What matters more is how many meaningful things we can do and how many people we can help in our life. I hope you have gotten some inspiration and new ideas about what you can do differently today. And as you are doing it, remember to also change your ecosystem so that you can sustain it. I firmly believe our world will be a much better place if all of us are focusing on becoming a better future self together with the people we love. See you in the next episode.